Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, join us at Walters for the first ever Nats Chat podcast party. We'll hang out, watch playoff baseball, chat about the Nats, and get to know fellow fans of the team. The event begins at 7 p.m. at Walters, just across from Nationals Park, on Friday night, October 14th. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here comes the pitch. Swinging a blast. Deep left center field. This one is crushed. Way back it goes, and it is long gone. Luke Voigt has home run number 20. And the Nationals, their first lead of the night, 2-1. The 1-0 delivery. Swinging a shot. Fair inside the third base bag. Down the line, headed for the corner. Racing for the plate is Vavra. Mullins can fly. He's going to round third and score. And Hernandez lost the ball. It slipped out of his hand. And this is going to clear the bases. He scores all the way. Henderson crosses the plate as Hernandez muffed the throw. And the Orioles lead it 4-2. It's a Little League home run. As Hernandez had to go deep in the corner, the ball slipped out of his hand trying to get rid of it. Here's the pitch. Swinging a long drive, left field. This is crushed, and it is going, and it is gone. Mateo slams his bat down, excitedly rounding first base, as the Orioles lead 5-2 on Mateo's 13th home run. And in the blink of an eye, the Orioles have scored four runs on a Little League home run and a line smash home run. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, September 15th. 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the podcast, but I'm pleased to be joined by the architect of the Nats Chat podcast, Tim Shovers. And we are here to discuss another Nationals loss, a 6-2 loss to the Orioles at Nationals Park on Wednesday night to complete a two-game sweep. Nats now have dropped five consecutive games, now are a major league worst of 49-94 and on the season. The Nats in the 2022 Battle of the Beltways uh, end up going just one and three. You know, Tim, I know that you communicate with a lot of Nats fans. I communicate with a lot of Nats fans. Do you think that most Nats fans care about winning games against the Orioles? Like, I don't think the players actually care about the rivalry. Do you think that Nats fans care about the rivalry or not really? No, not at all. I honestly think the only real part of the rivalry is in the executive suites between the ownership groups, which, side note, is probably the fiercest ownership rivalry in sports. But that's a different story for a different day. But for this, Al, this is a whole other topic, but I would love to see a world one day where these two are in the same division, because I think it's a shame to have two teams this close and not be in the same division. And 
historically, Baltimore and Washington have only overlapped from 1954 through the early 70s, through both iterations of the Senators, and it's a big missed opportunity. But as long as they're on opposite sides of the baseball universe and never meet in the World Series, I just think this is what it's going to be. I think you hit on what is exactly the case, and it's such a unique deal, but it's a rivalry between the two ownership groups. It's not a rivalry between the players. It's not even that much of a rivalry between fans. I mean, you know, I think some Nats fans like to needle O's fans and vice versa, but I actually think there are a good number of people who follow both teams, maybe even root for both teams. But yeah, like the rivalry, you know, to whatever extent there is a rivalry is between the learners and the Angeloses. Like that's the rivalry, the two ownership groups who despise each other and who have been embroiled in this mass and dispute for years. So yeah, it is kind of a funny, unique thing. You know, there has been talk for years, and I don't know how legitimate this is, but that if slash when MLB expands, we might see some realignment and that that realignment could include the Nats and the O's being in the same division. I mean, if you think about the Nats and the O's, the Nats don't really have like a true rival in the National League East. Like certainly there are teams that you like to see the Nats compete with, right? Like you've had competition with the Mets at various points and the Braves at various points and the Phillies, but there isn't that like one screaming rival, like say, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Cardinals, that sort of a thing. So if you did something to where the Nats were in a different division or the O's were in a different division, I can promise you the O's would love to get out of the American League East. And you had the Nats and the O's in the same division. I think that would be kind of cool. Now, I guess, you know, you could say, well, it would, it would get old, the two teams playing each other all the time. But I think that actually could be good for baseball in the region if you had the two teams in the same division, and then eventually you had each team good at the same time, and then maybe you had one year a pennant race with the two teams. Like That could really make the rivalry something. So I have a lot to say to that. That's a hot topic for me. In terms of the Nats and East rivalry, one shame, though, of that is the Phillies last made the playoffs until this year, 2011, the first time the Nats made the playoffs, 2012. So they've never overlapped as good teams in the same year. So I'm very curious when that does happen, what that rivalry takes shape because the two fan bases can drive to each other's stadium so easily. With that, I was driving back from Philly on Friday night as I've done that drive many times and many people who listen, have, I'm sure, have done that drive. And on the way back on 95, you pass Camden Yards. And it's just such a shame that the Orioles are on top of two other teams and they're not with either team. And with that, the Ravens and Eagles aren't in the same conference and Ravens and commanders. And so I've always felt that that's such a waste because I grew up in a city that's on an an island in Atlanta where you're not nearby any team. So I think it's so cool on the East coast, how these cities are on top of each other. So I would love to see them in the same division. And to that, Al, I don't think it will get stale if they're good. I would love to see a day also where the Yankees and Mets and White Sox and Cubs are in the same division. I think it's time for that. The reason why the Cubs and White Sox aren't in the same division were because of business decisions in like the late 1800s and early 1900s. At a certain point, this might be outdated, So, <laughs> amongst other things in baseball. So I really do yearn for the day that the Nats and Orioles are playing each other a dozen times a year. Yeah, I think there could be a lot to it. I think the other thing, too, with the Nats and like not having a true rival is that when the Nats have been good and when the Nats have won the division, the Nats have, for the most part, like run away with the division. Like The Nats never really had to like fight to win the division in terms of like a late-season pennant race. You, know, you think about 2012, 2014, 2016, 2017. The Nats in those seasons were pretty clearly the best team 
in the National League East in each season. So, you know, it would be one thing if like one year the Nats and the Phillies were in a dogfight down the stretch or the Nats and the Braves were in a dogfight down the stretch. You haven't had that. And in those seasons in which the Nats have had to battle, they haven't won the division. They haven't made the playoffs. You know, like in 2015, there was a battle between the Nats and the Mets and things uh, ended up not going the Nats way. Anyway, good conversation. Good look at what could be for the Nats and the Orioles at some point. But in the meantime, we had this game on Wednesday night. It was a Nats loss, uh, like I said. So the Nats in each game in this series blew a lead. The Nats on Tuesday night blew a 3-1 third inning lead. The Nats on Wednesday night blew a 2-1 seventh inning lead. And you had a Nationals reliever as the culprit in each game to at least some extent. Tuesday night, the culprit was former Orioles reliever Hunter Harvey. Wednesday night, the culprit was reliever Mason Thompson. And isn't it funny? I mean, we on the last installment of the podcast sung the praises of Mason Thompson. Although I did say, and I think you always have to keep this in mind with relievers, like the sample size. Mason Thompson had been really good this season, but it was based on him having thrown 15 major league innings this season. He had allowed one run in 15 major league innings. Good for him. He had looked good, but you know, like how much really truly can you invest in 15 major league innings? Well, sure enough, Mason Thompson on Wednesday night had easily his worst outing of the year. He and what ended up being a four-run Oriole seventh allowed four runs and recorded just one out. He faced six batters. He gave up a homer, a triple, two singles, and a walk. And the two big blows were the triple and the homer. Thompson gave up a two-run triple to Gunnar Henderson down the left field line. And Henderson ended up scoring on the triple due to a throwing error by left fielder Cesar Hernandez. So I say throwing error, you say, all right, well, Cesar must have made an error and throw. And not really. This was a throwing error in which Cesar Hernandez had the ball come out of his hand behind him as he went to throw it. So this wasn't like a throw to the infield or a throw to home plate that was way off. This was, he went back to throw and the ball jumped out of his hand, like something you would see on, you know, a blooper segment on SportsCenter or on This Week in Baseball back in the day. It was one of these, you know, amateur hour-like looks. It's the kind of thing we have seen from the Nats this season. You know, think to when we've seen like two guys on one base at the same time, that sort of a thing. And then Mason Thompson on the very next pitch gave up a solo home run to Jorge Mateo to left field for a 5-2 Orioles lead. And just like that, this went from being a game in which the Nats were leading to a game in which the Nats were losing by a good amount. I don't want to crush Cesar Hernandez. He had never played left field in a major league regular season game until this season. He's playing there right now, basically at desperation by the Nats. But boy, Tim, if you want like a snapshot of the Nats season, that error by Cesar Hernandez is it. T-minus three weeks remaining in the Cesar Hernandez-Washington Nationals era. Now, also, the way he approached that ball, now, granted, it's an odd carom, and it's sort of a weird part of the ballpark there where Henderson hit it into the left field corner, but you could tell Hernandez had no idea how to play that ball. Now, he's not experienced in there, so I don't want to beat him up too much, but it just was like, of course he botched the throw right there, and of course the 2022 Nationals would give up the lead just like that, and then to compound it, Mateo, the next second, hits the homer. It sort of reminds me a lot in football a lot of times where some team in the second half, an underdog will be leading, and you're really surprised, and then they give up a touchdown, and next thing you know, they give it the pick six, and the game's over. That's how it felt the same exact way with this one tonight. And uh, side note, I've been hearing for years about Adley Rushman. I wish I had heard more about Gunnar Henderson because I am extremely impressed by that guy so far. 
Henderson is a stud. Gunnar Henderson is a guy who was a second round pick, not a first round pick, but he was called up by the O's from AAA Norfolk on August 31st. He, at the time of that call up, was the number two prospect in baseball. And since he came up, he's been outstanding. His OPS now, since he was called up, is 890. And the thing about Henderson is he can play basically anywhere in the infield. He can play third base, he can play shortstop, he can play second base. He had a big game on Wednesday night, had a big game also in the game on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of cliche to say like losing teams make losing plays, but you do see that from the Nats. And you saw that in that air from Cesar Hernandez. And it was a rough outing for sure for Mason Thompson. As for the Nats bullpen, the rest of the game, Andres Machado came in to clean up the mess in that top of the seventh. And he did clean up the mess, faced three batters, sandwiched two outs around a two-out walk. Paolo Espino in the top of the eighth allowed a run. He gave up a double and two singles. And Kyle Finnegan, who we are not seeing much of these days with the Nats having lost five consecutive games, he did pitch the top of the ninth. He tossed a perfect top of the ninth. All of these Nats relievers were in relief of Patrick Corbin, who was good again. Patrick Corbin was good for a fourth time in five starts. And if this sounds familiar, it should, because this is exactly what Corbin did last season. He was very good last September, and of course, it ended up meaning nothing for this season. So do not be thrown off by what Corbin is doing right now. It is nice to see him pitching well, okay? Don't get me wrong, but I am not going to go chasing the stick like the dog off the porch of, has Patrick Corbin been fixed, okay? He did the exact same thing last year, but he has now been good in four of his last five starts, and he was good on Wednesday night. One run in six innings. He gave up just four hits, a double, and three singles. He had four strikeouts versus no walks. He did issue a hit by pitch, but he threw a lot of strikes, 92 pitches, 60 strikes versus 32 balls. So, you know, we can say that we're not going to let this make us think anything big picture, but I think we also could say he has been better, and he has been better, and he was good on Wednesday night. Yeah, I think there's actually some real big picture stuff to Corbin pitching well, and that is we're not talking right now about him moving to the bullpen, and he probably removed the contract aside for a second if that's possible. He's probably locked up a spot in the 2023 opening day rotation based upon the way he's pitched the last few weeks. Now, one thing, though, he's still in Mike Moroth territory, and he's two losses away from 20 losses, which that sticks with you forever if you do that. So he has a lot of motivation entering these starts here. And let's see now, he would probably have three starts left somewhere around there. So for him, if he doesn't want to be a trivia question, these starts are actually going to be rather important down the stretch for him. So you do think that this is meaningful for next season in terms of him pitching well, or you just think this is meaningful in terms of him being in the rotation for next season? I think it's meaningful for him being in the rotation. Now, talk to me on May 1st, I don't know, but I just think that if he's going to end the year somewhat plausibly in the rotation, and if we project it further, you got the three young guys in there, Cavalli, Gray, and Mackenzie Gore. I'm not going to bother touching number 37 right now. I don't think he's going to be in the opening day rotation. So those are two spots left. And with him in the contract, I would say probably right now, it'd be a big surprise to me if Corbin's on one of the other two. Yeah, uh, I think you're right. I mean, I think that has as much to do with a lack of options as it does with how Corbin is pitching. But, you know, one thing with Corbin, and we've talked about this, is that as bad as he has been the last three years, and he obviously has been really bad, he does have good outings. And what he does is he does just enough good to kind of make you think that there is more good to come. 
And so you can reasonably say from a Nats perspective, well, you know, if he can just do this and that, maybe he can actually rediscover the guy who we used to have in 2019. I think at this point, you have to say 2019 Corbin isn't coming back. But what he does do is in a handful of starts, he does look like 2019 Corbin. And he has been doing that lately. You know, you look at what he's done now over these last five starts. 2-1 loss at San Diego on August 21st, two runs five and a third innings. 3-2 win over Cincinnati at Nationals Park on August 28th. Two runs, one earned in six innings. 7-1 win at the Mets on September 3rd. One run in seven innings. 5-3 loss at Philadelphia on September 9th. That was a lone clunker recently. Five runs in six and two-thirds innings. But now we have what he did on Wednesday night. I mean, if he did this over the course of a season, he'd be really good. He would be worthy of the contract. You just can't trust him to do this over the course of a season. And again, I come back to, he did this exact same thing last year. Patrick Corbin last year finished with an ERA of 582, despite pitching well in four of his five starts in September. I think it's funny now that you look at him, he has pitched well in four of his last five starts as we are well into the month of September. So I would love for this to be meaningful for next season for Corbin. I I really would. I think it would be such a good thing for him and for the Nats if the Nats could actually find a way to have fixed him and have him be better moving forward. But I mean, we've danced this dance so many times. I just don't know how you can truly believe that like, okay, now Patrick Corbin has been put back together again. In the sabermetrics community, What have you heard in the last few days about the effect in terms of pitching with the pitch clock next year? Is it expected to be an advantage for hitters or for pitchers? Oh, I think for hitters. Because I think one of the reasons that pitchers take so long between pitches is to process the next pitch. Like There's so much information now that pitchers are having to digest and process in terms of data and sabermetrics and analytics and sports science, that I think if you have less time to think about all that stuff and think about exactly what you want to throw and how you want to throw it and how you want your release to look, and that also goes for the catcher in terms of thinking about what next pitch should be called, I think that works to the hitter's advantage. And I think the other thing is when you're taking a good bit of time between pitches, you're conserving energy so that your next pitch can be as fast as reasonably possible. If you're throwing a pitch every 20 seconds, let's say, as opposed to every 30 to 40 seconds, each subsequent pitch is going to be harder to throw because you're getting more fatigue. Like you think about it, like for those who work out, right? If you're doing like, you know, a set of squats, let's say, there's a difference between resting four minutes between each set and resting one minute between each set, right? Each set gets harder if you're not resting as long between each set. So I think that's going to work to the hitter's advantage. That's another reason, by the way, that I didn't think you had to do the thing with the shifts for next year, because I think just having the time limits between pitches is going to increase offense, because I think that is going to work to the batter's advantage. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Pennant races in baseball are on and Window Nation is coming through in the clutch. Think of Window Nation as the 2019 Nats. You right now can get new windows from Window Nation at half price. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and make sure that you tell Window Nation 
that Al Galdi sent you. Lower your energy bills and raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Over 1,500 custom vinyl window options are available. And if you're wondering, well, do I need new windows? Well, if your current windows are sticky or drafty or cracked or hard to open or locked when the windows close, then you need new windows. Get yourself Window Nation windows and take advantage of this great offer Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Here's the pitch. Swing a long drive, deep left field, line drive down the line toward the corner, and it's gone. Out of here in the blink of an eye, a game-tying home run for Riley Adams. Number four on the season. It's the Nationals one and the Orioles one. A screaming line drive right down the left field line. Well, not a good game for the Nats offense on Wednesday night. The Nats offense, like we've said, overall has been better lately. Did not have a very good series here against the Orioles. The Nats on Wednesday night, just two runs, just four hits, just two walks, 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. We did, though, get two home runs from the Nats, and there haven't been many two home run games from the Nats this season. Not many multi-homer games from the Nats this season. Uh, Luke Voigt and Riley Adams homered on Wednesday night. Luke Voigt was the Nats starting DH and number four batter. Uh, Yeah, no Nelson Cruz for the Nats 
on Wednesday night as he is dealing with this left eye issue. So we did get our wish on the Nats Chat podcast on Wednesday night. We don't wish ill on Nelson Cruz, but we do wish to see Joey Manessis at first base. We did have that on Wednesday night, and Boyd was the Nats' designated hitter. And Luke Voigt went one for four with a pretty impressive solo home run. Voigt in the Nats' one run fourth, a two-out solo homer to left center for a 2-1 Nats lead despite having been down in the count at one point. Oh, two. Uh, the homer went and projected 426 feet per stat cast. And then Riley Adams, who has barely done anything offensively this season, had himself a good night on Wednesday night. He was an ad starting catcher at number nine batter, two for three with a solo homer and a double. Adams in an ad's one run third, a two out solo homer on a line drive to left field to tie the game at one. And Adams in the bottom of the eighth, a leadoff ground rule double off the left field warning track on a 1-2 pitch. You know, it has really stood out how beyond K-Bert Ruiz, the Nats have gotten so little offensively this season at the catching position, whether you're talking about Riley Adams or Tress Pereira. We know Adams has an ability to hit. He certainly showed that as last season went on. Hasn't showed much of it at the major league level this season, but he did have himself a good night on Wednesday night. First homer since May 28th. I was stunned when I saw that. And I know he's been in the minor leagues for a portion, but still, I did not anticipate that when I looked it up after he hit his homer. And, you know, Riley Adams specifically, I'd say there are many, 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 many disappointments to this season and a lot bigger than him. But that's sort of an under-the-radar disappointment for me because I was really impressed by him last year. I got excited by what we saw. He looked like he had power. He looked like, a to me, I thought he was a potential middle-of-the-order bat. You could move him at DH or first base, and then every fifth day he could back up Ruiz, and we haven't had that at all this year. So I'm happy to see him hit a homer, and let's see, maybe he can end the year with, with a couple more homers and end on a good note to what's otherwise been obviously a very disappointing season. It really has been. You know, the other thing with Adams, too, was we went into this season thinking he might be an option at first base, and we haven't seen that basically at all. He played first base in an emergency situation earlier this year, talking about at the major league level, and that's been about it. Now, you know, if the guy can't hit, then it doesn't matter where he's playing. Like, his hitting needs to be better, but that's another aspect of the Riley Adams story. Like, we thought, well, here's a guy... He can serve as a backup catcher. He can serve as a backup first baseman. He can provide some pop off the bench. Like, there's value here in this guy, Riley Adams. But it just has not gone very well for him so far this season. So the Nats have themselves an off day on Thursday. And then come nothing but National League East games the rest of this season for the Nats. Three-game series against Miami this weekend. Then a three-game series at Atlanta next week then a three-game series at Miami, then a three-game home series against Atlanta, then a four-game home series against Philadelphia, and then a three-game series at the Mets to conclude the season. Things haven't been going so well for the Nats lately. Like I've said, five consecutive losses. It's also now seven losses in eight games for the Nats. We know that things have not gone well for the Nats against the National League East specifically this year. Do you think we are in store for an especially brutal ending to the Nats season, given that they will be facing nothing but National League East teams? Or do you think that maybe, just maybe, the final three weeks of this season for the Nats won't be as painful as the weeks potentially could be? You know that meme with Mr. T? Pain? I think that's what's coming. Now, the Marlins, though, I don't know. That one I could go either way on. I wonder sort of by the law of averages if the Nats can sneak a few against a team that, for whatever reason, has dominated them this year. But they cannot match up well against the Phillies at all. 
And even though those games might not be meaningful for the Phillies, they might already have their seed set, but that's a long way away. But the Braves got six games, and the Braves are going to be hoping and expecting to go 6-0. and Not 5-1, and but 6-0 and against Washington. So there's going to be big problems there. And then when they wrap the year in City Field, that could be for all the marbles as well. And if I'm correct, I don't think division winners have actual head-to-head tiebreaker this year, like a game 163. I think because of this new format, it's whoever won the head-to-head overall. So you could have game 162 where the Mets are really playing for either the division title in one or the two seed or a wild card spot. So the Nets, they got a tough hand to play here the final 19 games. 19 regular season games left for the Nats. The Nats need to go at least 4-15 and 15 to avoid the indignity of a 110-loss season. So can you at least win 4 out of the 19? I mean, that's not that big of an ask. You'd like to think that the Nats can win at least 4 of these games down the stretch. We shall see. We did get a Cade Cavalli update prior to the Nats game on Wednesday. Uh, Davey Martinez, in his pregame press conference, did say that Cade Cavalli has been cleared to throw, so that's good news. But Davey also essentially finally said that Cade Cavalli probably is, in fact, done for the year in terms of pitching in an actual game. You know, I don't think he's going to be able to, uh, to go out there and, and compete, you know, because we want we want to make sure that we when he leaves here, he's healthy, and uh, we put him on a program this winter and get him ready for spring training. This has always really felt like pie in the sky, the idea that Cade Cavalli is going to be back pitching in a major league game before the end of this season. And sure enough, while he has been cleared to throw and is doing some throwing, Davey did essentially concede during the pregame presser that, you know, we're probably not going to see Cade Cavalli pitch in a game. And, you know, and I think that's fine. I mean, I think Davey could have said that Cade was done for the season a few weeks ago, and I don't know that that would have really changed anything. I know that they're trying to keep Cade motivated. I think with a lot of these athletes, you don't have to do that. Like, if Cade Cavalli is the pitcher who we want him to be, you don't have to dangle this far-fetched carrot in front of him. Hey, you might pitch in one more game this season. Like, no, you're probably not going to pitch in a game this season, but you're a professional. The expectation is that you're going to be a high-level pitcher for us for years to come. So you need to work and continue to progress. And I think Kate Cavalli would do that. Like, I don't think there's any reason to think that he wouldn't do that. But man, you really cannot overstate the importance next year of Cavalli, Mackenzie Gore, and Josiah Gray. And for all three of those guys to be in better positions a year from now as compared to now. You know, for Cavalli, it's been kind of a strange year. I mean, he did get promoted to the majors, but it took a lot longer than anyone anticipated. And his lone start did not go well. And he's been out with injuries since. For Josiah Gray, there has been some good, but there's been a lot of bad. And the season doesn't seem to be ending well. And he's given up a lot of homers and he's issued a lot of walks and he has an ERA over five. And with Mackenzie Gore, he has yet to pitch for the Nats. I think there's a lot of hope with him, and there should be. But, you know, he himself is coming off injury, and we'll see if he ends up pitching for the Nats at some point here in a major league game. So there's hope, there's promise, and, you know, you certainly could make the case that 12 months from now, what matters more than anything is that all three of those guys are in better places than they are right now. Definitely. And come spring training, those starts are going to be very, you know, usually we don't really care at all what goes on spring training. But the first few Cavalli and Gore starts in the spring, and even Gray, because he's limping towards the finish line here, Grapefruit League for Nats fans, there's going to be a few things to keep tabs on come February and March next year. 
That's a good point. I mean, I think that says a lot about the state of things for the Nats, but I think that's true that like it's going to be notable what these guys are doing next February and March. And gee, it would be wonderful to have all three guys in the Nats season opening rotation next year and for all three guys to end up pitching a lot for the Nats next year. But a lot to go through before we get to that point. Big offseason coming up. I really do believe this. Big offseason for Gray. Big offseason for Cavalli. Big offseason for Gore. You know, we don't know what guys do during offseason. So it's like it's all going to be in retrospect. Like, was it a good offseason or wasn't it? But for the first time in years, right, you're going to have a normal MLB offseason. No COVID, no lockout. Like, you can work with your coaches. You can work with your strength and conditioning staff. You can really apply yourself and dedicate yourself this offseason to getting better and getting healthy. And uh, all three guys you would think are going to be doing that. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast at Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram too at Nats chat podcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats chat podcast t-shirt by going to Nats chat podcast dot square dot site. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nats chat podcast. The subscribing costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. All Nats radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats chat podcast. As the old familiar cry rings throughout the land, the president opens the season in the old familiar way. As the Washington Senators take the field, Mr. Kennedy comes through with a wild pitch the catcher Ken Retzer grabs for his great-grandchildren. Then the pros take over as Don Rudolph the Oriole Jim Gentile. Well, it's enough to kill a mockingbird. Up against the scoreboard for a home run. President is strictly nonpartisan today as he cheers Gentile home. This puts Baltimore ahead, and the birds are never headed for the rest of the game. After Al Smith walks, Boog Powell comes through with another Baltimore homer, and the Orioles continue to fly high the rest of the game. When the dust settles in the ninth inning, Baltimore tops the Senators 3-1. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.